You're listening to a podcast of Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, where our mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the blessings of sunshine and warmth and, and uh, for some of us, as we talked during our morning prayer time, the, the sudden shock that it's already August and the summer is slipping away. We thank you for those, those things, Lord, but even more, as we're gathered here, we thank you for Christ. We thank you that you demonstrated your love for us, not, not simply with sunshine and warmth, which it does demonstrate, but even more importantly, that you sent your one and only Son to die for our sins, and he rose again in victory, and that, that victory is ours in Christ. We just celebrate that. We gather on this day because it's your day, a day that we celebrate and rejoice in what you're doing in us and through us as individuals, as families, and as a church, and as part of even the greater Christian community in Portland and the Northwest. So we thank you for it, and we just ask you to be here with us in your name we pray, amen. Um, we're going to talk today about celebrating, and I did a little research this week on celebrating, of different reasons to celebrate, and I only picked August, okay? I only looked for what, what are some reasons we can celebrate in August. The other 11 months, you're on your own, but I'm going to tip you off on some things to do in August, okay? For example, did anybody have an ice cream sandwich yesterday? Not a one. Wow. No, you can't have ice cream. I'm sorry. Did you have a soy sandwich yesterday? Uh, no. Okay. Well, yesterday was National Ice Cream Sandwich Day. Today is a fourfold day, so we can really get a lot done today. Today is Friendship Day. Today is National Watermelon Day. Okay. It is also International Forgiveness Day and Sisters Day. Now, I'm not sure if there's a correlation between International Forgiveness Day and Sisters Day. They both occur on the first Sunday in August. I'll just let that one go, just so you can guess. Tomorrow is National Chocolate Chip Day, okay? Following Na- National Chocolate Chip Day, though, is Work Like a Dog Day. Uh, not a popular holiday, but uh, it's, it's work like, that's the fifth. Now, the seventh, this Thursday, is a big one. It is really a big one, okay? What are you guys shaking your head for, okay? This, this August 7th is IPA Day. Okay, according to BeerCrafter.com, founded in 2011, IPA Day is a universal movement created to unite the voices of craft beer enthusiasts, bloggers, and brewers worldwide. Wow, drinking beer is a universal movement. That's that's impressive. That's impressive. That's followed by the next day, and I'm not sure if there's a correlation to this one too. The next day, the eighth is sneak some zucchini into your neighbor's porch day. People really stretch these things, don't they? The 9th is National Garage Sale Day. The 10th is National S'mores Day. Um, the 12th is Middle Child's Day. The 13th is Left Handers Day. On the 27th is Global Forgiveness Day, not to be confused with International Forgiveness Day, okay, which, which, is, which is today. Okay, just want to make sure those are distinct. Now, the month ends strong. It really does end strong. On the 30th, and it's always the Saturday before Labor Day, it's Bacon Day, okay? 
Bacon Day. Now, I think that would have been just the summit for holidays, except for the next one, and it's actually a two-day event, okay? The 30th and 31st is National Buffalo Chicken Wings Day, okay? Am I the only one excited about that? Jordan's not. Jordan is, okay? I mean, now, if, if celebrating a day is, is, you know, kind of boring for you, yeah, one day, well, there's weeks, okay? For example, this week, with the 1st and the 7th, we're right in the middle of it, for example, is International Clown Week, okay? It is also Simplify Your Life Week. I don't, you know, okay. And it's also World Breastfeeding Week. All three of those are this week. Uh, coming up the 3rd through the 9th is National Farmers Market Week. You can celebrate that, which is actually a good thing to do. And also the 3rd through the 9th is National Fraud Awareness Week. Now, this is sponsored by the FCC and only deals with phone and mail fraud, Okay. Don't let anybody trick you that it's internet fraud. It's not. It's just celebrating or being aware of those other kinds of fraud, okay? The 3rd through the 9th is also Stop on Red Week. Apparently there's an issue there, and we need to make people aware that you actually need to stop on red, okay? I don't know. Uh, the 9th through the 13th will be on vacation is National Scrabble Week, which I'm glad. And, and also in the middle of the month, the 10th through the 16th, both of them are always the second week of the month, is Feeding Pets of the Homeless Week, and along with that, side by side, is National Resurrect Romance Week. So you can resurrect your romance by feeding homeless pets, whatever the case may be. And here's my point of reading through this, and that's just August, okay? And I left out half of the days, obviously, okay? Here's my point, okay? People find and apparently invent Different reasons to celebrate, don't they? We, we like to celebrate. We like to party. So we're going to find some way to make an issue of almost every day of the year. Some legit, some of them a little less, little less so, maybe some actually questionable ones. Today we're going to talk about celebrating. We're talking about celebrating as Christians in our pathways um, aspect of it. And we're going to focus on three ways that we are to celebrate as Christmas. Christmas. As Christians... We don't celebrate Christmas, okay? Celebrate as Christians um, that are usually, that fly under the radar, that should be more prevalent with us, but we don't often think about. We're talking about pathways. In fact, can you throw it up there? Uh, we've been talking this year as we go through Ephesians. We're also working through, our book, through the book of Ephesians. We're also talking about pathways. The question is, how, what does it mean to be a follower of Christ as a person, as a family, as a, a body of believers at Red Sea, a church? And we talk about who is God and what has he done. That's the gospel. We talk about who are we. That's our identity in Christ. And then we talk about what are we to do. And the pathway steps each month, the first Sunday of the month, we talk about what are we to do. Uh, based on the gospel and our identity. And this is that, that illustration, particularly the gospel in the center, the black circle is the, our identities, and then the different colors. As we draw to Christ, as we develop community and deploy into culture, we're on the third of the green there, and the bottom is celebrating. And we've talked about what it means as servants of Christ to be in scripture and prayer and worship. We talked about as identity as families in Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ. God is our Father. What does it mean to be peacemaking and sharing? And today, celebrating, and it's the focus of this month for us. And, and celebrating naturally flows out of sharing. And we talked about that last month. I'm not going to rehash it. Celebrating nat naturally throws, flows out of sharing. But at the same time, when we talk about celebrating, we should talk about partying. 
having fun, celebrating major events, whether they're holidays or whether they're events like birthdays and anniversaries or weddings, whatever the case. We as Christians should be great partiers in the appropriate sense of the word. I'm not going to focus on that today. We're going to focus on that a little bit more next month because the next month we're talking about hospitality. And we want to talk about hospitality in the sense of having those parties, having those aspects of that, and including not only each other, but also those who are not Christians. So today's not so much on the partying aspect. Next, next month we'll do that. But we're going to talk about celebrating. And today, this is a little different for me, a little awkward for me. I actually struggled this week with this message primarily because, as most of you know, we preach primarily expositionally. We preach primarily, park ourselves in a passage, and we work ourselves through that passage, occasionally referring to some other texts. And that's what I was trained. I'm more comfortable with that. That's what we're doing through the book of Ephesians. Today, though, as I put this, this week as I put this together, I decided not to focus on one passage, but a number of different passages. So we're going to be flipping around. The passages I'm going to highlight will be on your screen. So we're going to be looking at some of the passages a couple times, some of the passages more than once, but we're going to be moving through it. And here's my premise. As family in Christ, what do we mean by celebrating? As family in Christ, we celebrate by doing three things. Rejoicing in God's work in and through each of us, affirming each other, and acknowledging milestones of life and spiritual growth with thanksgiving. So rejoicing, affirming, thanksgiving. That is what we're going to talk about when we talk about celebrating. In Ephesians 5, we've already looked at this passage, but I want to draw our attention to it. This was a launching point for me in thinking through this. In Ephesians 5, verses 18 through 19, Paul says this. He says, Do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And then verse 19, addressing one another, speaking to one another, interacting with each other, in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody into the Lord with your heart. I, if I could summarize this, he said, this is how we talk to each other. We talked a little bit about that a couple weeks ago. It's, in other words, rejoicing together. When, when we're speaking to each other and we're talking in a way that is like psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, we're rejoicing together in what God is doing for us. In Thessalonians 5, 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul says it explicitly. He says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. He explicitly gives us the instruction, the command, rejoice always. He, at all times, be rejoicing. The emphasis is on the always. It's all the time you as a church should be rejoicing. Rejoice is to express joy. And the always there means every occasion or in all circumstances. He says it again to the Philippians. In Philippians 4.4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. He connects rejoicing with the concept of the idea of always in both places. And, and if you're honest, if, we, if you've been in a, a Bible study or a sermon series or something like that, or just reading your Bible, we most often get tripped up on the word always. Not the rejoicing part. We, get, we, get, we stumble a little bit on, on, on always. We, there's an objection. Well, he doesn't really mean always because what happens if bad things happen? He doesn't want us to rejoice when bad things happen, does he? He can't, he can't mean always. And the reality is, of this is, first of all, he does mean always. He repeats himself to be explicit. But the second part of this is that we think of those things as our moods and our attitudes the reality is they're often driven by our circumstances. We're keenly aware, and, and understandably so, 
of our circumstances around us. If things are going well, we're feeling okay. If they're not going well, we generally don't. The idea of rejoicing, we tend to associate with the circumstances. Paul's not doing that. Paul is saying that we need to rejoice always regardless. And he gives it reasons for this. He says in the one verse, Rejoice always, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. He ties it to the gospel. And he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice because what's true because of the gospel at all times. So why is it we're rejoicing? We're rejoicing in the Lord based on our faith. Based on knowing that the love and, the love and sovereign God accepts us and, and, and wants us and has done a lot for us. He sent his son to die for us. We, we can rejoice in that. That's rejoicing in the Lord. That we belong to Christ. And we know because the Word tells us and the Holy Spirit confirms in us that He's continually to working in us and through us. We can rejoice regardless and actually because of the circumstances we find ourselves in. Rejoice in the Lord is the emphasis. One guy I read recently said, he says, the rejoice in the Lord, we, we get tripped up in that. He likes rephrasing it is Jesus is our joy. Jesus is our joy. I like that. It's not the literal translation, but Jesus is our joy. He's not talking about the circumstances. Jesus can always be our joy because it's about Jesus. It's not about our circumstances. And regardless of the circumstances, we can rejoice and celebrate. I'm using rejoicing as expressing joy to each other. It's, it's, it's public because of who God is and what he's done for us and who we are. And, and, and we also looked in Ephesians 4.15 where Paul says, and I think it flies under the radar what he's trying to say here, he says, speaking or confessing the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Speaking, he doesn't mean just being confrontational. You know what, I I need to speak the truth in love to you, and we, we we often think of it that way. The word is better confess. In other words, speak the truth of the gospel to each other all the time. We should be chatting up the gospel and Christ dying for us and all that that entails all the time. And what's the result of that? When people frequently talk about Christ and the gospel, he tells us what we grow up in every way into him, in Christ. We get closer to Christ. We get closer to each other in Christ when we talk about that. And that's what Paul's saying there. And we need to remember always the gospel, that Christ died for our sins, that that, and you hear these phrases a lot here at Red Sea, intentionally so. We want to keep it in the forefront of what we're doing. That God demonstrates his love for us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And through, when we respond in repentance and faith and believe that in Christ's death and resurrection, we have been given things, eternal life, forgiveness for our sins. Well, those are awesome things. But it's, we sometimes, I think, Forget all that we're given. We all, if you ask somebody, a Christian, oh yeah, I'm forgiven. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm, um, I'm, I, I'll go to heaven or whatever it is that the, the metric that they use. But there are so many more other things that happened in Christ. Even if we don't feel like it. Even, even if we don't, we might not as a new Christian be even aware of it. But we are told repeatedly in the scripture what's true about us because Christ died for our sins and he has drawn us to himself. And the phraseology in the Bible of in Christ and through Christ or by Christ, those phrases mean we get a lot of benefits. And, we, and, we, and your handout that we have when you leave, if you didn't get it already for the week, we'll talk about it at the end, we give you a list of some of these benefits of being in Christ. 
And we are accepted in Christ. We don't earn acceptance. We're given acceptance because of God's generosity to us. And in that acceptance, we sometimes, oh, okay, I'm accepted. But there's a tremendous amount there. We are new creations and reconciled to God. Our sin was transferred to Christ and his righteousness transferred to us. We are justified by grace. We are redeemed and forgiven our sins. We have access in one spirit to the Father. We have been chosen by God from the foundation of the world. We have the confidence to draw near the throne of grace. Um, we have... Um, we have been given the right to be called children of God. We, we are children of God because of our faith in Christ. Thus, our identity is family members together. That's where we got that from. We're adopted into the body. That is what it means to be accepted. That's a lot on the plate there. And we're also secure. We're also secure in Christ. We can't be more secure or less secure. What does it mean? He tells us we're free from condemnation and that we cannot be separated from the love of God. We have been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. We are citizens of heaven. We have been established, anointed, sealed, and given the Holy Spirit. We have been brought, bought with a price and we belong to God. We have eternal life and will never perish. And no one and nothing can snatch us out of God's hand. We are sure of this, that he who began a good work in us will complete it. That's what it means to be secure. Those things are true for us. But we're also significant. Our significance isn't what we accomplish. It's not based on our productivity this week. It's not based on who we know and what we've done. It's based on what Christ is doing in us and through us. We are significant. We are his workmanship. We've talked about that a lot in Ephesians. We are ambassadors for Christ. That's our next identity we're going to talk about. We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We are members of the body of Christ, each giving gifts to serve and empower We are to walk in love. We are called to be holy because he is holy. We are the light of the world. We can go on and on. Here's my point. The point is we have a lot to rejoice in. We have a tremendous amount to rejoice. We are not short on the list of things that when we get together that we can say, I rejoice in Christ because of this happened. There is so many things that we can, and yet sometimes I think we forget that. We focus so much on the circumstances of life We forget how generous God has been to us in the gospel. And we need to be a people, and this is the admonishment of this, that we need people who celebrate all that God has done and is doing in us. We should be the most rejoicing people in the world because of our acceptance. And and we can do this always. And we need to make this an environment. This is that, that admonition. This is that encouragement that we need to give. In our home communities, in our families, in social gatherings, do we talk about who we are in Christ? Or we talk about a lot of other things primarily. We've talked about this before. Do we really talk about, do we have the right conversations? Do we talk about those things? We can, and we can celebrate it. A while back I was reading an interesting little tidbit that when we greet each other, what, what, if I walk into a room and I see you on the street, what's the, what's the primary greeting that, that I give you? What do I say? Hello, usually, right? Hello. In the early church, in the, when the, for early Christian communities, the most common phrase when Christians met each other, they would, use the, they would say the word rejoice. That's how they greeted each other. When they first met, Christians met each other, they would say rejoice. It was that important to them to remind each other right out the chute, we have a lot to rejoice in and we haven't even started talking yet. And when they parted, it was common for them to depart saying grace and peace. Grace and peace. That's as family in Christ, we celebrate by rejoicing in the work 
what God's working through us, but we also affirm each other. We also affirm each other. What is it? We celebrate by affirming each other, speaking to one another in ways that do it. We, uh, to affirm is to state or assert posit, uh, positively, to publicly recognize as true. In other words, we, con- we commend the commendable. We, we look for things that are right and good, and we call them right and good. We, we draw people's attention to those good things. We, we publicly celebrate good things specifically that we observe in other people. Remember back in Ephesians 5, we spent a, a whole time looking at two verses. And part of that was uh, Ephesians 5, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Be imitators of God. It's, it's a little intimidating to be given the command, the instruction, imitate God. Anybody else get a little intimidated by that? I am. Okay. Or I was more than I am now. We put it that way. Okay, well, there, when we think about because often when we think about that, we think of God as, you know, he's kind of big. He's kind of powerful. Okay, there are attributes of God that we can't share. There are things about him that just are not true for his creation, for humanity, in humanity particularly. He is eternal. He's always existed. We haven't, for example. He is, the theological term is immutable. In other words, he doesn't change. He's never changed. We change a lot. We, we should change even more, Okay. Um, he's omnipresent. He's everywhere all the time. He's, he's outside of time as we know it, like those kind of things. Those things we can't imitate. So let's don't worry about those. Okay? If you're putting your effort into that, stop. Okay? But he also has attributes. He has characteristics. He has qualities that we are to imitate, that we can. In fact, we're instructed to imitate. For example, we're told that God is love. Are we supposed to be loving? Yeah. That's a quality of God. It's a character of God. We're supposed to be loving. We, with knowledge, wisdom, goodness, even something like holiness. The command, be holy for I am holy. We can, we can share that. We can be that. Now, where am I going with this? Okay? In Ephesians 5, he says, be imitators of God. But the verse just previous to that, he says this, be kind to one another. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another as in Christ, God forgave you. So the gospel's there. As in Christ, God forgave you. But he says, I want you to, to be kind to one another, each other. I want you to be tender-hearted. I want you loving in that sense. I want you to forgive one another, going back and forth. And then the very next phrase, he says, therefore, therefore, imitate God. You, you want to know what it looks like to be kind? To, to be tender-hearted, to forgive, we'll, we'll look at God and, and do what he says. That's what imitate means. And to each other, imitate or copy the kindness of God. Imitate or copy the tender-heartedness of God. Imitate or copy the forgiveness of God. That's his instruction. We know what we're supposed to imitate God in. He gives us a list. Just three things, but it's a good list. Okay, now here's my point. That was a sermon a couple weeks ago. Not only are we supposed to make the effort through God working in the Holy Spirit enabling us to imitate God, but there's another flip side of this. Remember, imitate, and this is to one another. We need to remember and flip, flip that. And what I mean is this, is we not only should aspire to be imitators of God's his, his kindness and his love and his forgiveness, but we should also affirm other people when we see these characteristics in them. Right? If, if we are all trying to do this in some measure, then I should know that kindness and tenderheartedness and love and patience should be in other people. I should be looking for that 
and affirming that in them. We, 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 we need to, uh, when we notice the act, people acting in kindness or compassion or patience or generosity, we shouldn't just let it slip by. We, we should speak up and tell them that we noticed. We noticed their patience, their love, their kindness in that situation. And we should remind them, you know what? God noticed too. God noticed too. And then, and then, if possible, if it's appropriate, we should do so publicly. We should do so maybe in a home community, maybe as a family around the dinner table. We should be public with that affirmation. We don't want to embarrass somebody or put them in the spot, but at the same time, celebrating is a public event. Affirming is a public event. We should be able to do that publicly. And affirming, speaking this way, is celebrating on a very personal and tangible manner. It's specific. That's the power of affirmation. It's specific into a person's life. It's tangible. They know it. We know it. Other people know it. Affirming is celebrating what we see God doing in other people's lives because we expect that he is doing other things in other people's lives. Affirming is celebrating, we might not like to say it this way, but the God-like characteristics we see in other people, like patience, like kindness, like generosity. And we, uh, it, it takes a different way of, frame, of framework for us to, to not just uh, see people when they do things that we don't like, which is the easy part, but to catch them doing things that are the right things and acknowledging it publicly. As parents, this is particularly true, and it's a great example of what, we, what I mean by this. Uh, being a parent is an arduous task. Any amens from the audience, okay? It, it is difficult. And part of that is an aspect, maybe not just discipline, but the consistency and the, the, um, of needing to be a parent and to work on it over and over and over again. It doesn't go away, okay? It always doing that. And, that's, and that sometimes, let's be honest with you, it's draining. It's draining. And, but being a parent is what it is. It's responsible, expressing love. It's doing those kind of things. But a big part of parenting isn't just discipline, which you need to do, but a big part of parenting is also catching your children doing the right things and affirming them in that, saying, good for you. For example, you could say to your child, good job, way to share your toy with your brother. Thank you for being kind and generous. That is what God is to us. It's simple. It's direct. Thank you for sharing your toy. Thank you for being kind and generous because God is kind and generous to us. And to talk to our children that way. What what happens when we talk that way to children? Well, the kid, the child, gets affirmed. God gets honored. We're drawing a correlation here, not just in good behavior because it makes our life easy. We're drawing a correlation that they're being imitators of God. God is honored. And they, and also those who overhear us with this affirmation, know what a right thing to do is, and they know what to aspire to do the next time. It's positive in that way. You guys following me? That is part of parenting. That's part of discipling. That is part of eldering, is affirming whenever we can. And and it's something that we can make a regular part of our, for example, if it's uh, spontaneous is awesome, Catch them in the spot, do it on the spot. 
But maybe this is a tradition you do around in the dining room table that every evening, or at least on a regular basis, you affirm people at the table if you're a family who eats together. And you affirm each other and say, hey, good for you in this aspect of this. And it makes it, and that encourages them that way. But this is also, it just isn't about parenting. This is how we treat each other in the church. This is how we treat each other in home communities. This is how we treat each other even when we're just hanging out. We, we can see God's working in people's life, and we can affirm them. We can speak up and say things to them um, because they're part of the family of Christ. For example, uh, uh, I saw how that guy was a jerk to you, but you responded to him with kindness and patience. That, that reminded me of a verse of Luke that was saying that God is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. And what you did just now reminded me of that quality of God. It's true. It can be said. God is honored. They're affirmed. Maybe, maybe it's not as blatant when somebody's a jerk and they respond you know, nobly like that. I hope, I hope we do. But sometimes it's even the mundane things. Sometimes it's just the everyday things. We, 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 we need to affirm those who serve around us all the time. And they serve in sometimes mundane ways. They're faithful. They do their work. They do it faithfully and get it done. With diligence, those are good quality characteristics. Whether it's bringing food to the home community, whether it's cleaning the restrooms at the church and making sure the towel dispensers have towels in them. Now, we know when there's not enough food at home community, don't we? We know when there's no towels in the towel dispensers, and we tell somebody, don't we? Right? Why don't we tell somebody when there is food? Why don't we tell somebody when the dispensers... Somebody filled that towel dispenser. I'm picking something really, really mundane. But really annoying if it's not there. Huh? Bill Park. It's named Bill Park. Thank you, Bill. People who serve faithfully, people who serve should be recognized for it. And because, why? Because Christ served us and gave himself up for us. And, and that's part of that recognition. That's how we affirm it. But we also need to look, uh, at, be looking for evidence of God working in people's lives and calling it out in a positive way. Remember we talked about being, the command, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And I asked you guys, can you tell if somebody's drunk? And you all said yes, and we all listed numerous ways we could identify if somebody's drunk because of their behavior. And then we asked, what does it look like to be filled with spirit? How do you know? It was a little quieter. It was a little quieter. We're not as used to looking for evidence of somebody being filled with the spirit. But where scripture tells us what that looks like. The scripture tells us. That there's, there's things like boldness and courage and wisdom and faith and joy. The scripture tells us when they're that. Or we can look for the fruit of the spirit in people's lives. Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are things we can, maybe the quality itself, but we can see people expressing that quality. Especially if they didn't used to express that quality, but now they start to express that quality. It's an opportunity for us to affirm them and say, hey, I see that now in your life. I recognize God working in your life. I want to affirm that I see that evidence. And we can do that. That is a part of what it means to affirm. To affirm people means to encourage them, to, to build them up in what we're doing. Paul says in, in Thessalonians 5, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. He gives us the instruction to encourage each other, build each other up. And then what I find interesting is he turns right around and he affirms the fact that they're already doing that, just as you are already doing. He, he practices what he preaches, if you will. I'm going to give you an instruction 
and I'm going to say, attaboy, you guys, you as a church are already doing this. A little thing recently I stumbled across that really has been challenging personally to me is, is I was reading through the book of Acts, and I've shared a little bit about this a while ago, but in the book of Acts, uh, as I'm reading through this, I'm, we're introduced to a guy named Barnabas in, in Acts chapter 4. It's not his real name. Anybody know what his real name is? Joseph. His real name's Joseph. I asked that for a reason. Most of us know who Barnabas, if you've been in the church for a while, oh yeah, we know Barnabas. It's not even his name. That's his nickname. Okay? In, in fact, in Acts 4, it says, Joseph, who was, call, was, all, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, or literally one who encourages. Now, that, that explanation of his nickname, Luke gives us that in the text. Now, I, I think that's a big deal. He, didn't just, he could have just said Barnabas and assumed we knew. He wanted to make sure everybody understood what his name meant. He is one who encourages. Here's a question for you. How did Barnabas get his nickname? This is a hard one, okay? How did Barnabas get his nickname? Yeah, he's a person who encourages other people, okay? So much so that he got dubbed by the leadership, that's his nickname. Let's send Barnabas, that guy who encourages everybody, okay? In other words, his, the, the quality became his name. Okay, that's not a little thing. I don't, maybe, maybe for you guys, but I don't think that's a little thing. A little later in Acts, in Acts chapter 11, the church is scattered because of persecution. There's a church in the city of Antioch happens. Uh, happens. <laughs> it just happened. <laughs> Was founded not by the apostles. They're a little stressed out, my interpretation, so they want to go see if it's legit. Is this a real church? Is this really happening? So who do they send? They send Barnabas up there. And they send Barnabas to see if it's right. And this, these few verses... I think are very insightful into what I'm talking about today. That's why I'm sharing this, okay? In verse 11, Acts 11, 22 through 24, the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, that this church got started in Antioch, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch, verse 23, and when he came, he saw the grace of God and was glad, and he was exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. That's the kind of passage that I, I used to read over very quickly. Oh, okay, Barnabas showed up. But it really says a lot. For example, when he saw the grace of God. How, how do you see the grace of God? I'm asking you guys, a, I'm going to ask you guys that. How do you see the grace of God? What, what do you think he saw? We aren't told. So we get to make it up. If you were going to go and visit some people and wanted to see if the grace of God was there, what would you look for? You need to talk loud to the fans. Changed hearts. Changed lives. Anything else? I'm not looking for one specific thing. Fruits of the Spirit. Evidence. Love, kindness, peace. Hey, what? The Holy Spirit's here. Because you guys are treating each other the way you're supposed to. There's lots of ways we can see them. All the things I just talked about the boldness, that the gospel was preached and people were responding to it, that the changed hearts, the changed lives. Whatever it was, he saw the grace of God. Do you know, and that was a big question for me. You know what the second question was for me that, I, that it occurred to me one day? Why did he see the grace of God? He's an out-of-towner. He shows up. Why did he see the grace of God? He, say that again? 
He was looking for it. He, he's the son of encouragement, and he was looking for signs of the grace of God in these people's lives who he's never met before. But he had enough awareness that he saw it and was able to respond to it. Then we're told he was glad. Luke tells us his response. He was glad. He rejoiced. He celebrated. And we know it was public because we know about it. Right? It wasn't a private little internal thing. He must have said something to people. Otherwise, Luke wouldn't have been able to write it down. And then he says in verse 23, he exhorted or he encouraged them to remain faithful to the Lord and steadfast purpose. What is he doing there? He's affirming them. I see you doing this. Good for you. Keep doing that. And then, and that's not enough. He gives us an explanation why. Luke does. Who wrote this? Gives us an explanation why. He says in verse 24, for, why is this a big deal? For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Okay, oh, yeah, he's a nice guy. No, no, no. That's not what Luke's saying. He's connecting. Four, why did he respond this way? Why is he the encourager? Why did he affirm those people? Because, not just that he's a good man, but he was full of the Spirit and faith. In other words, according to this passage, if we want to know what it looks like for somebody, a man or a woman, to be filled with the Spirit and filled in faith in God, it doesn't require outrageous miracles, does it? That's not what happened here. Those characteristics of being filled, the signs that somebody has the Spirit is, is enabling them and empowering them, is what? That they observe the grace of God in other people's lives. That they're looking for it. That they celebrate what they see. And that they encourage people to continue with that. That is the evidence. That's what Luke is trying to connect. What he did to the church in Antioch was the evidence that he was the son of encouragement, full of the Spirit, full of faith in Christ. It's that simple and that profound. And then Luke gives us an explanation of the result. He says, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Luke uses that phrase or similar phrase a, couple, a few times in Acts. I forget the exact number. It's always a summary statement. Some big event happens, and the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved in Acts, Acts, 4, Acts 2. In other words, what, what Luke is trying to draw our attention to is that as this church started to grow, Barnabas shows up, encourages them, affirms them, celebrates what he sees, and the Lord exploded even more people coming to Christ. That's, that's why recently I have been personally, and for Red Sea, challenged by this text. A, an evidence that we are filled with the Spirit. It's not the only one, so don't hear me. And this isn't an admonishment. But that if people are coming to Christ, it's because of, well, in the, according to this passage, we are behaving this way. We are, this is a part of who we are. We celebrate. We're glad when God changes lives. And we tell people about it. And the Lord adds to their number those who are being saved. We need to move on. We rejoice, we affirm, and then we also give thanksgiving. We give thanksgiving. In Ephesians 5, Paul said, and again, I keep going back to Ephesians because we've been walking through it. It's, it ties into what we're doing. He says, let there no be filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, for these are out of place. But instead, 
He's given us a contrast. But instead, when you're together, none of those things. Let there be thanksgiving. He's, he's contrasting giving thanks to God for what we see in other people with foolish talk, coarse joking, <laughs> the other things we do at parties. Rejoicing and affirming in thanksgiving are frequent part of our conversations. He goes on and he says, you know, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And he says, addressing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And then the very next verse. So that's the rejoicing, the very next verse. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Always and everything. He again links the word always with the gospel. In 1 Thessalonians, we've already looked at this passage. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. He links it again. For the most part, we think of thanksgiving, I think if we're forward about it, as either saying a meal, saying a prayer before a meal, maybe part of our prayer time, we give thanks to God, or maybe uh, to another person we say thank you when they're polite or do something for us. We often think of that as thanksgiving. And, and often when we give thanksgiving, if we analyze it, and I've had to be conf- been confronted with this myself, we often give thanks because of three basic reasons. One is material well-being. The second is comfort. And, and the third is that our expectations are met. That's usually why we're thankful, either to other people or to God. And yet, that's not what Paul's talking about. If things go our way, we're thankful. If they don't go our way, we're not thankful. But like rejoicing, and like rejoicing, we object. Always? In every circumstances? Really? Really? We're supposed to give thanks all the time? It says, in in the first Thessalonians, it says, give thanks in all circumstances, not for all circumstances. He says, give thanks in all things, not for all things. We can give thanks in good times. We can give thanks in bad times, frustrating times, even times of tragedy. We can give thanks in mundane, routine times because of who we are in Christ. That does not change. We've already talked about this, so I'm not going to elaborate on it. We are accepted. We are secure. We are significant. We can be thankful regardless of what happens. We can give thanks to God for those things. At the same time, we can be thankful because God's love and faithfulness are always unchanging to us. Again, no matter what the circumstances are, if we're giving thanks to God as we're instructed, it's because of who he is. For non-Christians, giving thanks in all circumstances is foolish. To the Christian, giving thanks in all circumstances is faith. And then he says, um, I just want to highlight something here. Thanksgiving can be an affirmation, it can be a form of celebrating and can be a form of affirming and encouragement. We often again think of Thanksgiving as prayer to God, which it is, should be a regular part of our prayers to God. But we have some lessons here that I want us in the part of celebrating, just very briefly. Ephesians 1, Paul says a prayer, he tells people, Ephesians 1, he says this to them, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you remembering you in my prayers. What does Paul tell us in that verse? We're not going to spend a lot of time on it. He says this, what I want to highlight. Paul heard about these people's faith and love. That's a good thing. And he gives thanks to God for them and God's working in their life. But then he tells them 
what he thanked God for. That's the key part. How do we know that? Because this is him telling them. It's his letter to them. He does the same thing to the Thessalonians. He says in 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 3 to 4, he says, We ought always to give thanks. Again, that word always keeps showing up in Paul. To God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. How they interact with each other, the love and, and, um, and faith, and they were growing and they're maturing in that, and he, and he hears about that and he sees that. And again, he does the same thing. He hears about their faith and love. He thanks God for it and thanks God for working in their life and they're growing in this. And then he tells them that he did so. But we have a little more thing in this. The next verse in Thessalonians, he gives us the context of his thanking God. In verse 4 it says, Therefore, we, we, are also, we, we ourselves boast about you in, to the churches. That's affirming. He's boasting to other churches about the Thessalonians. He's affirming them. Of God, for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and the afflictions that you are enduring. He is thankful to God while they're being persecuted and they're being afflicted to the point where they, as a church, have to endure the pressure. And yet he has the audacity to say, I'm thanking God for what I see in your life, and I'm telling you to do that. Now, what's my point? My point is that although thanksgiving should be to God, and we should do that as prayer, I'm not minimizing that, we should also leverage what we talk to God about and tell other people. We should be able to do that, and we should and make it a practice to often tell people, I thanked God, maybe you didn't do it right then, but I thanked God today for you, and this is why. Whether it's your spouse or your children or somebody in your home community or in your, your family or a workplace, it doesn't make a difference where. Tell them, I, I see God doing this in your life. I thanked him, giving him credit. God is honored. The gospel is honored. But I'm affirming you by saying, this is what I thank God for. Josh and I recently were, not recently, about a month or so ago, I can't, I can't remember when it was. We meet every week. We're together. And we pray together. We talk about preaching, what's going on, the church, people, all sorts of things. Spend a couple hours each week doing that. And when we're done, I just said, sort of offhandedly, as we were packing up, said, hey, you know, what's on your agenda for the rest, for the rest of the day? And he says, oh, uh, we had a, a leak, the foundation in the, leaked, and the water came in, and now the ladies' bathroom downstairs is all covered with mold, and we think there's insects in there. And I oh, that sounds like a lot of fun. He was going back to clean up the mold and tear that out and dig up the foundation. And so I was thinking about that during, after he left, like, oh, that, okay, good luck with that. I'm glad I'm here. In all seriousness, I was glad I was there. And I was thinking about it. And so I'm praying to my, uh, another time, praying about this and praying through Red Sea and praying things. And just thinking about how Josh and I partnering with that and how we're different in giftedness, different in skill, different life experiences. And that's a good thing. That's why God calls the church to be led by a plurality of elders. And, and I said, and I was thanking God for what's going on. And then I... Um, Emailed Josh. This isn't to highlight me. This is just to demonstrate how easy this is. I thank God for a guy like Josh working alongside me in the church. And I just sent this email to him. Quote, Josh, I just wanted to say that I really do appreciate all, 
capital A, capital L, capital L, the different things you do at Red Sea, from preaching to shepherding to cleaning the mold. I know it can be draining at times, but I want you to know that your labor is valuable and much appreciated. Close quote. And that's all it takes. To, to recognize that somebody contributes in the way they do and to thank God for it and then tell them, I thank God for this. Words of affirming. It's that simple, but it can also be that profound. What would happen in us, use our imaginations at Red Sea, if, if we developed a culture of a healthy family life as our identity as family that was marked by the, the pathways, things of peacemaking. We resolve conflict because there will be conflict in family. We resolve it for sharing. We, we do the one another's. We encourage one another. We pray for one another. We carry one another's burdens. We do that. And what happens if we were a people who celebrated a lot? Not just celebrated events, which we should, but what we have in Christ. Who we are in Christ. That we can rejoice and affirm that we would grow in our faith and love in this way and respond to the Holy Spirit working. What happens if we would raise up multiple Barnabases? What's a female Barnabas? Mrs. Barnabas. Miss Barnabas, whatever. It doesn't have to be male. We raised up people filled with the Spirit and faith who were encouragers. I'm confident to say that the Lord would add to our number daily those who are being saved. And we'd be a very healthy family. This, this month, as you go out, every month for the Pathway Topic, we give you a project. We give you activities to do. This week, I'm, I'm not going to read through this because of time. We have three things for you to do. Do each three of them once a week to try to create a culture of celebrating. I want to end by just drawing our conclusion and an invitation to, to communion. That we, are, we celebrate every week communion because of what Christ has done for us. So I want to invite you that if you have responded to the gospel and repentance and faith, come celebrate his life and his love for you in taking communion together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your generosity, your love, your mercy. We thank you, Lord, for people people in your church, people in our family who draw us closer to you. And Lord, that we get to celebrate together, we get to encourage each other, we get to affirm each other, and Lord, we acknowledge our need for that through your work of your spirit. And we lift this up in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please go to our website at www.redseachurch.org. If you would like to contact Red Sea, you can email us at info at